Oh, hello. It's so wonderful to see you here on a Wednesday night. I know Reverend Megan's happy to see everybody. It's great. Good. Well, it's my great joy to get to introduce our speaker this evening. This gentleman is very, very, very important to me. He has been my mentor, my teacher, uh, my foundations teacher, believe it or not. Went all the way through foundations and ministerial training and uh, was at the center with Dr. Christian for over 15 years and uh, transformed my life. Amazing, amazing man. You know, he is a wonderful speaker. He's a much-loved uh, leader in our movement. He's the author of uh, 10 books. This is his 10th book. He is uh, a father, a husband, and an amazing minister and speaker. It's my great joy to introduce to you Dr. Christian Sorensen. All right. Thank you, Rev Deb. Woo. 15 years, it's like we did a lot of life together. That, that is a, a lot of time. And such a joy to um, be here in your, in your house, in your home. And just thank you very much. And, uh, and, and thank you, Megan and Reverend Megan, for having me be part of your Wednesday evening. And then Amber, oh my goodness, how beautiful. Man, the, wing, the wind beneath God's wings. That, that's pretty cool. I like that. Anyway, it's, it's really a joy. It's a lot of fun. I haven't been here since February, and it was really cold. There was snow in your mountains in February, which I'd never seen before. And actually, it's really fun to be here in the sun, because as of a few hours ago, I hadn't seen it for several days hanging out at a Silomar. It, it, it's like, but it's been a lot of fun calling home where it's 110 and going, oh, i got to wear my coat here. It's misty. It's overcast. And... And it's been great. And friends uh, from Asilomar, it's, uh, it's fun, to, fun to see you here. We've been having a great time. As you know, since the 50s, Ernest Holmes was bringing people to Asilomar for um, a conference to hear him chat and give his sermons by the sea. And uh, Reverend Chris Collins has carried that on, and it, it's going on right now. So they let me out for the night, and it, it's fun to be here. And to be able to share with you uh, from my new book, Living from the Mountaintop, Be the Mystic You Were Born to Be. And th th this book is really, I'm giving you um, the spoiler alert. You know, it, it's all about looking at your life from the mountaintop. It's about having that higher perspective and seeing down on your life and not getting caught up in the drama and the challenge and the difficulties. Because a lot of times when we're down in it, it, it gets really rough. And so it's fun getting uh, back and reconnected with spirit. And we just walk through Monterey and the Silomar and you're just in nature and you can feel it. But I want you to recognize how fortunate you, you are to be able to get out into nature so easily. Because where I come from, down in Southern California, it, people just don't get outside like they used to. I think our generation, the boomers, were probably about among the last that used to get out in nature and play, go backpacking, and do those kind of things. And I think it is uh, kind of weaning a, a, a little bit. And I, for me, I, I got to, I mean, it's not just because my knees are not quite what they used to be or those 50-pound packs on my back um, aren't fun. But what I've noticed is with, with friends and people that life has just gotten so involved, um, you know, business, got to make sure things are running, got to take care of the family. Um, now with electronics, uh, you know, kids don't go outside because there's no place to plug things in, and it, it's, um, it, it's getting further and um, 
further away. It's, I think it's people are going through uh, like a nature deficit disorder. The, the, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, I don't even know if we even have an Environmental Protection Agency anymore, actually. I, 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 it may have been. Anyway, the, <clears throat> I'm not going there. I, but, but I'll share with you one of their last reports is that the majority of the American people spend more than 90% of the time indoors. That's just shocking. The closest a lot of people will ever get to nature is their salad at the table. But you know what it's like to go outside? There is this connection with something that is magnificent. Yes? Yes, that's why you live here. You can feel it. You sense it. Well, that is that mystical kind of thing where I'm referring to is to be able to connect with that spirit. It's to be able to feel that life force and to recognize how important it is to get outside and to reconnect. I, I try to get my son to do that. He's 18 now. So an 18-year-old guy trying to get him to do something is always a little extra effort. Um, but we have a ranch in Montana <coughs> and... Uh, and so we go there in the summertime. Uh, my wife goes to set up the house uh, for rentals before we get there. And she sent pictures back of the bears, you know, walking across our property this last year. And, um, and so when we go there, I'd like to get my son to sleep outside just once. You know, come on, you can sleep outside once. And it makes no sense to him. It's warm inside. The bed is soft. Why do I want to sleep outside? When I, but I, I, I pitch the tent on our front lawn so, you know, he doesn't have to go too far. You know, it's safe. We run the extension cord out to the tent, right? And we watch a movie until it gets dark. We've got the air mattresses and um, the blankets, and it's warm, and it's nice. And so last summer we were there. We were sleeping out there, and, you know, it was dark, middle of the night, and I hear a growl. You know, the pictures that my wife sent me earlier, a couple months earlier, it's like going through my head. And I sit there in the silence, just waiting. And I hear it again, but it's my stomach that's growling. <laughs> you know? It was the bean soup from uh, earlier in the evening that was uh, uh, showing up. And it's just, um, you know, how important it is not to give our power away to all of a sudden that which grabs our attention. Oh, this is bad, or this isn't good. But a lot of times we're just so used to dealing with life and protecting ourselves and all these scenarios that are getting bombarded upon us that the first thing the mind goes to is bear or challenge, which is why it is imperative and it is important to be able able to get to that mountaintop and to still our mind in the midst of the challenges. If you want to have the mystical experience, you've got to be able to extrapolate yourself from the dynamics you find yourself in. I mean, it's easy to be a mystic in a cave hanging out by yourself. That, that's sweet. You know, I, I like sitting in a Selamar omen out there on the sand dunes. That's good. But you know, that's not the majority of my life. I, I try not to be one of those individuals that only gets out 10% of the time in the nature, but I've got to be able, when I am in the, the forest of the metropolitan area I live in, to be able to remove my awareness, my consciousness to that higher place and reconnect with spirit and to feel that power and to feel that presence and to be able to just deal with that something that gets me to that, that place. You know, that mystical, it's magical. It's wonderful. That's why we do the classes with Rev Deb and, and Megan and the other practitioners around here so we can get to that place where we can connect with spirit and feel the presence and know that when life calls upon us, we can step into the dynamic of the time, not with fear, not thinking it's a, it's a bear out there, but, but I can go to that spot. I want to share with you, since you left it here, um, 
the first page from my book. And I'm just sharing it because I get a kick out of it. And I, I haven't you know, read this in a while. But um, I, I want it, it's kind of describing what the mystical experience is. You know, you watch a good movie like James Bond, it starts with action. So how do you start a book on calm and peace, you know, with, with action? And so I thought I would try to describe a mystical experience to you. And so th this is what I wrote here. I, I said, the mystical experience can bring a joyous surge and thrills and electrifying waves of life and pulsing and tingling and elation, a jubilation through the body, a trembling with intensity. The mystical can lift you by the rapture of a fire in your spine that is so hot you can't even tell if it's cold outside your skin. It's as if you're Alice in Wonderland, growing large or shrinking small. There's a heightening of your senses and the smells. They become acute and your ability to hear becomes extraordinary. One might say even otherworldly. The music of the cosmos, the celestial choir, the hum of the divine, the wisdom of the ages fills your soul and all in a time that it takes to blink a mystical eye. You can feel the full spectrum of shapes and the history of everything you touch. Your emotions can terrify you in moments of elation like this and beyond description of anguish and delight and sorrow and enrichment. Past patterns of remorse and guilt can be blown out of proportion and then instantly dissolve like a sugar cube in a glass of water. You might experience uncontrolled movements like shaking and trembling as the energy centers of your body begin vibrating and pulsating at an amazing new and higher frequency. Your body may experience an opening of the flow of life through your spine, removing any and all blockages and bringing up all sorts of images and emotions. Perhaps colors fill your awareness, moving from lower vibrations of the earth tones to the brightness that is beyond the colors you have words for. You're absorbed in the luminosity of light itself. Everything your eyes perceive begins to just glisten as if their revelations are being revealed. Past lives are understood. Images of sacred sites never visited become familiar. And in a blink of this great universal collective subconscious is revealed and understood more clearly than you could ever have imagined. The mystical transcendence of the self-awareness will move you beyond the emotions into a state of calm equilibrium with a sense of life itself where all is ever available. Wow, yeah. People have told me it sounds like an ayahuasca trip. <laughs> but then what do you do with that? <laughs> I mean, that, that's great, but now what? You know, so you get there, and so it's not about just being in that blissful state and great. And what good is that going to do me? And so that's why it's important to come down off the mountaintop. You've got to get to the living from the mountaintop is meaning you're living from there, but you don't have to stay there. You can't stay there. You've got to return with the revelations and the insights and the awareness that you're dealing with these other energies, these other possibilities, these other um, expressions that may not be seen by the first fearful thoughts that are projected into your field of awareness by the news or by the friends or by the headlines or by your own mind that says it's a bear that's out there. You know, the, there's a story I love from my book. It's, it's in the ninth chapter, and it's about this, um, just this mythic Kodiak bear. He was just this enormous um, beast, just legendary. 
um, mythical, mystical. I mean, um, very few people ever lived to be able to tell the story about this this bear. He was feared and revered. He was uh, just enormous in size. His paws were the size of tree branches that could just tear through granite. Um, his roar could be heard across continents. Um, his hair that just glistened in the, you know, the eyes could just penetrate your, your soul. But there was a story that was told that if you had the courage enough to rub the head of this Bethman, that your life would be blessed forever. But if you got close and all of a sudden the trepidation set in and, you, and the fear kicked in, he'd devour you. His incisors would rip through you like they were nothing at all. It's like that fear, it's not because he was afraid of you, it was just a sense of your bad perspective of who he was <laughs> that really ticked him off. And so really, very few people ever ventured to try to rub this guy's head. Like, why bother? But this one guy did. He read the lore and the legends and, and, and he figured out where he was and so he got his backpack. It must have been the last of the boomers. You know? And uh, <laughs> he headed out to the Arctic Circle and spent seasons looking for this guy. And he knew that that defining moment would come and that he would have to look into the eye of that Kodiak bear. And he was down one morning washing his hands and his face in the glacier runoff. And he looked up, and there, just across the stream from him a short distance, were the eyes of that mythic creature looking at him. And it was in that moment he had to decide what he was going to do. What would you do? <laughs> you know, see, all your preparation, all the classes, and everything that you have taken to this moment has led you to this moment of scratching the head of that Kodiak. But you still have to take that final step. It may have prepared you, but unless you take that final step, it's done you no good. And so you've done your work and you've done your, your classes and you've gone on to the advanced classes and the practitioners. You've come and coming here since 1962. You have done your work. But I'll tell you what, you know, you're going to come to that point where you're going to have to look into the eyes of that greatest thing that you fear. And are you able to take these spiritual principles that you know are true from the mountaintop, from that cave where it is all quiet, and rub the head of that Kodiak? Are you able to do what it takes to move through that fear? And then I'll tell you one other thing that will really tick you off, at least me. And after you have done it, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have to face that Kodiak another time. Just because you have faced your greatest fear heretofore in your point in your life, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have any other challenges the rest of your life. Are you in relationship? That, that should raise a few opportunities to practice in a deeper way. You know? Are you walking in this world and, and reading headlines and having your soul ache? These are opportunities. And so a Native American um, saying is, it is only in the still waters that the reflection can be seen, discerned clearly. Only in still waters can the reflection be discerned clearly. Still, 
Not confused mind, not fear. Should I rub the head? Should I not? What's growling outside in my world? Where's the challenge? I've been to the mountaintop. I know how good it is. But if I can have that higher view, I can realize in this spot, in my road, in my path, is this challenge. Is my soul lesson, is my experience. But from the higher perspective, I can see I'm going to come through that. There's another spoiler alert. You are going to make it. Whatever it is, you, you got to do. You know, if you, you're not going to get devoured by that bear. You know, it, it's, it, you, you get to that point, but you've got to calm your mind from the anxiety or the anxiousness or the challenges that are, are out there. And that's what the spiritual practices do, because when it's easy and you're in the classroom or you're at home, you work it. So when you're in your life, when you're challenged, you're able to practice it. And just as you got it at this level, you get the next level. And the next level, the fundamental issues call that the trials of God. I don't call them trials, I just call it doing life. Metaphysically, we talk about the spiral. You know, it goes up, you get to come back at the next level. It goes up the next level. You, know, you, just, you get to keep applying it as your consciousness expands. The principle is the same. It is healing that sense of separation from God, that spirit, that essence, that life. You know, th- that's the only thing that's going on. Your practitioners will tell you that. If you want healing in your life, you've got to heal that sense of separation. And can I face and offer myself to this moment fully? See, if you want to live um, the life of a mystic, you've got to be able to lose your sense of separation and merge back into the whole. Oh, bless you. It's my job, you know. So, oh, yeah, well, <clears throat> thought you were bringing up the spirit of the ancestral bears. Take on the big guy. So, uh, thinking of this other um, story, it comes from the Comanches. And... Um, it's about a time when there was a drought. And uh, the drought was severe, and it went on for, for seasons, years. The people were dying, the kids were dying, the adults were dying. And um, you know, the elders would go up to the mountaintop, and they would pray. And there was this one little girl who hadn't died yet. She's holding her doll. Um, a beautiful uh, doll. It was really her... her um, like an image of herself, her, her, her sacred sister. You know, it was just, it, it was, had the beaded um, necklace, the beaded um, shoes or anklets, you know, the, the um, blue jay feathers. and they, it, it was like her comfort because her mom and dad had died in, in the drought. And she would sit there holding this and watching the elders go up. And they came back, finally, the elders from the mountaintop to the people of the tribe. And they gathered. And they said, and the great spirit spoke. And the Great Spirit said that we have been taking from this land, we have been taking, and we have been taking, and we have been taking. And what the Spirit is, is angry at this point, and is asking us for this drought to end, is for us to share our most treasured possession. And so they shared that with the people of the tribe, and um, people went back to their, their teepees, and, and the archer said, must not mean my bow. I mean, come on now, I'm an archer, I can't. He talked about my bow. And uh, the medicine uh, shaman said, gosh, that's so right, but I'm sure he's not talking about my herbs. You know, I mean, come on, I'm a, I'm a medicine guy, I, not, not my herbs. Mom said it can't be the sacred blanket that you know, I, I held my child in. And, and it went on like this. And she who sits alone sat there with her, with her doll and just said, I know what the great spirit wants. This doll that my mother and my father gave me before they died to the great drought, I know this is it. And so that night as everybody was asleep, 
she threw her sleeping blanket off of her and, and she took uh, a lit stick from the sacred fire and she climbed up to the top of the hill and arranged whatever sticks or the rocks that were there and she lit the fire. And, um, and so as the fire caught in flames, she started to cry and just remembered her mom and her dad and their love and the family and she presented her doll to the fire and watched it burn and the guys who came down the elders said and when your treasure possession is you share the ashes of that to the four winds and so as the fire died down in the early a.m. she who sits alone took her the ashes of her beloved doll and she she spread it to the four winds and she was tired and she just went ahead and fell asleep a after that. And in the morning, she awoke. And um, the sun just kissed her face. And she kind of came to. And she went to look at the fire pit, you know, where her doll had been burned. And as she was leaning over, she saw in the center of the fire pit a blue jay's feather. And she bent over to pick up that blue jay feather as if it was from her doll incarnated she was lifting it up, the first drops of rain fell upon her face. And when she came down back to her people, they were filled with joy. And they re renamed her She Who Loved Her People. But that is the magnitude in which we have got to play with spirit. We have got to be willing to share that which is our treasure. We have got to be willing, if we're in partnership with God and this life force, I've got to be willing to give all of me. I've got to be willing to stand up here and just, okay, Spirit, use me. I've got to get myself out of the way. If you're going to show up in your life and in your world where people are stuck and, or they're attached to their position or this is the way it has been or has always been, I'm going to defend this way, this is what the headlines say, and they're doing that, what you've got to do is come from that place. I, I'm willing to, to give of my treasure. I am willing to be that transparency for that presence of God. God to come through here in this moment and I'm going to transcend the fight that is here. I'm just going to listen to what Spirit has said from that high place and know that there is a way through this stuckness and you can do and you can create and you can love and you can express at the full expression beyond what your mind can think of because we are coming from the mind and mysticism is not about the mind. It is about the heart. It is about the soul. The mind cannot grasp what I wrote about on that opening page. It's just really how can I understand Although it's not, it is a soul experience. And she who loved her people loved them so much that she was willing to give up what her mind said was the greatest thing that she had in her life. Are you willing to give up your position for something greater to emerge, or can it only go as far as you are holding on to? You're the one who's got to say, you know what? Okay, Spirit, use me here. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've, I brought it this far on my own, but if we're going beyond here, Spirit, let me be the wind beneath your wings. I, I'm, I'm turning it over to you. I've got to trust something new. I've got to be willing to trust this, not try to hedge, because I'll tell you what, Spirit knows you. You know, you, you, you try to, you know, hide your hand from the world, but you can't from Spirit. And life will reflect that back to you. That is how it works. Um, there was a, a guy who was driving his son in the back roads in the country, and, um, I don't know, Sunday afternoon, and he drove through back roads, country, nobody's out there, the red light, stop sign, red light, I, I don't know. But either way, the kid in the passenger seat, hey, Dad, 
My teacher said you're supposed to stop at red lights. He said, ah, don't worry, it's the back roads, it's Sunday, nobody sees us, nobody's out here, don't, don't worry about it. And then when Bobby was 12, his mom took Bobby to the movies. And she said, hey, Bobby, just by the way, if anybody asks you, just tell me you're 11. I bought you a kid's ticket. Not that any of us ever did that with our kids. But she just said, you know, I bought you this kid's ticket. And anybody asks, you're 12. And then, you know, Bobby was 16, heard dad talking to the tax guy one day around tax time on the phone. Said, yeah, Charlie, you know, forget what I ever told you about that investment. There's really no record of it. No need to, you know, pay the taxes on that. You know, nobody knows about it. It's just let that one go. Then 18, Bobby goes off to college after the first semester. A letter comes home. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I regret to inform you your son Robert has been expelled from the university for cheating on his tests. And mom cries. Dad says, how could that happen? And they talked about, how could you have done that? You know, you've been brought up in a good home. We have shown you the good ways. We, we have loved you. How could you have done such a thing? Life is a reflection back. And when you're caught up in the drama, how could you do it in the pain? But you get a little bit higher up on your mountaintop and you're able to look down and you can begin to see what causative factors have played into something and you also can begin to see where it's going unless you make a shift. Because when you catch a vision of what is forthcoming, you can be decide, you know what? I, I don't need to go there. See, the psychics are able to predict what's going to happen because they're reading energy. So on the psychic level, if somebody threw a baseball at your, your window, heaven forbid, God watches out, but the psychic would predict your window's going to burst, you know, it's going to break, and it breaks and go, wow, how'd that happen? You know, it's all on the energetic plane. But the mystic is different than the psychic. The psychic operates on that subjective plane, according to Ernest Holmes. It operates in that realm of the energy realm. But the mystic um, is a, a transcendence. It is able to transcend in a vertical way and see all possibilities and allow any one of those possibilities begin to take form in our life. And at any moment, the mystic can say, hey, that's not going to happen. And somebody can put their hand up there and stop the baseball that the psychic would never have seen coming because they're dealing with the unfoldment of the energy they see where the mystic is going strictly to the presence of God where in that infinite realm are infinite possibilities and what spirit has in store for you is greater than the, that which your mind knows or the energetic patterns that have been set forth thus far in your life. So you can have your body heal in amazing ways. We have all heard of bodies just becoming miraculously healed. Cancers dissolving, diabetics no longer needing insulin. I, I had my first church in Ventura, not unsimilar to this, with the downstairs magnificent uh, teen room. It's where we held our, our plays and our social meetings, stairs steeper than yours. And our junior church teacher one morning was walking down, that down the stairs to her kids. And we had different rooms, so there were a bunch of kids. And she tumbled. And she bounced off the wall. And I'm getting ready to walk out onto the stage. And in Ventura, it's a big stage. And it was timing. At the top of the hour, the organist starts playing. And it's the top of the hour. And the organist, I know, is getting ready to you know, start my intro number. And one of the little kids comes running up. And I'm standing in the wings, getting ready to walk out. It says, our teacher fell down the stairs. Our teacher fell. So what do I do? You know, I got you know, hundreds of people waiting for me. Or I got kids. So I go to the kids. You know, they can start without me, I guess. You know. And so I go down there, and Marcella Ware, she had stumbled down the stairs. She broke her arm. You could see it. 
It was, wasn't pretty. Bounced off. And, um, and so all the kids are looking at this minister. What do you do? You know, and I'm 24, 25. You know, what, what? So I pray, right? Yeah, God, man. You got, you got to do something here because I'm needed upstairs. And, and so anyway, um, we pray. And I, I go upstairs. And the clock had stopped in the sanctuary for like four or five minutes. And it started up when I came back up on the stage. And as I was walking up, she started playing my intro cue. Joy to joy, joy, whatever it is. Anyway, and after the service, what happened to our child? Well, they had taken her to the doctor. And by the time she had gotten to the doctor, the bone had gone back together. They had an x-ray. This At the end of the day, I found. They had an x-ray that showed where there was a break, but the break was no longer there in her arm. Miraculously, in front of all those little kids, there was bone that instantaneously went back together and she was proud to show the x-ray of this instantaneous healing. How is that possible? How is it possible for time to stop? I can't answer those things. But what I know is with spirit, so many things are possible. What I know is in that room downstairs, filled with children, filled with shows, filled with food, filled with love, with a bunch of little kids looking up and believing with all their heart and soul of the magic that this place represents, of what goes on within this basement of this, this huge place, was, was spirit that something happened that defies my logical kind of brain. But when you're on the mountaintop, you're not stuck in that challenge of that moment. There is something that is able to see and to trust that spirit and greater possibilities that are in store and waiting for you. But you have to be able to remove yourself from that growling stomach. You have to remove yourself from the fear of scratching that guy on the top of the head and know that with spirit all things are possible, that a body can heal, that uh, growths can dissolve, that relationships can, can become magical and juicy and wonderful again, that abundance can flow beyond the constraints of what I'm trying to hold on to and protect. If you're trying to protect something, you're not growing. Oh, I got to protect my asset. Well, you know, I got to open up because how did I get that? It was through growth, through expansion. Am I open to the greater expression of spirit here that is beyond my fear, my constraints, and what it is I know? I'm no longer going to defend my position because a lot of times that position has been fed by the headlines. You know? And those headlines are scary sometimes these days. You know, war possibility. Um, who knows whether news is even real. Um, you know, the sky is falling. Uh, alien invasion. Viagra recall. You know, <laughs> it's like it's just scary stuff out there. You've got to learn to be able to have a higher perspective and be the conduit for God to show up in a world that is living with massive headlines that don't support the kingdom of God or the Garden of Eden. But i got to tell you, there is plenty of good things that are going on. I'm sitting here on a Wednesday night with a lot of you, and I know there is love, there is possibilities, there is good in this town that is happening. It is a light that is shining forth from here. I'm hearing stories of individuals that are making a difference, that are, that, that are saving lives. There is more good going on than bad. But what is your head focusing on? You need to get up on that mountaintop. You need to live from that mountaintop and to be the mystic, to be that conduit, you know, to, to be spirit in all those situations. And you'll be challenged. My son, um, Trevor, he, he's on the autistic spectrum, which means that parenting looked entirely different than I ever thought it was going to look. But then again, I've had every parent tell me parenting looked entirely different than they ever expected anyway. So that, that card never really worked for me. But... <laughs> 
One of his issues is he doesn't do well in crowded settings, socializing, uh, and he really doesn't like babies. So he's not here. So I love, (laughs) I love, uh, this is a family community. And what I know about Debbie is she loves babies and kids and let them walk around on Sundays. It's the best thing. But my son was here, he'd freak out. 18-year-old, big guy, little 18-month-old baby, he'd run. It's a, it's a paranoia, which is a irrational fear. So you can't get him out of it. Anyway, so he doesn't like going into restaurants, but one of the places he likes was libraries and Barnes and & Noble. Barnes & Noble was the place I could take my son. I'd sit him down in front of the magazine rack, and he would take his allowance and figure out which magazine he would buy. He'd only want, you know, the $20 yacht magazines, those thick, glossy ones. <clears throat> but, and, and I would leave him there in the store, and I'd get him settled, and um, I'd come back, and there'd be these pile of magazines that he'd been looking at, and he didn't like, quite put them back. And as he relaxes sometimes, because he's a lot of tension walking in the store on, you know, baby alert, um, it, when he relaxes, he starts to babble a little bit. And, um, you know, so you can calm him down. Read your... Anyway, so I, I, I sit him down, and I go look for a book, whatever book I'm looking for. You know, it's one of those things ministers do, and practic- metaphysicians, you guys. And I'm out there, and I hear his babbling, and he doesn't really modulate. He just has one sound, and it's loud. And, and so I come running from, you know, the other end of the store, and, and I co- come into the magazine aisle, and I see him sitting at the end with a stack of magazines, babbling with such joy and elation and freedom. And, you know, everybody's sitting on the bench just looking at him with this vibe. Oh. And now they're looking at me. You know, and I want to shout, Trevor, quiet! But then all of a sudden, it, it just hit me. I'd be like betraying my kid. He's there having a good time, and people are throwing this vibe on me. And it's like, all of a sudden, if I embarrass him and I put him down, it's like I'm the one person he really trusts in that store. And am I really going to squash him in front of all these people because they're having a hard time with it? And so it was in that moment, I, I just I walked down there, and I just got down on the floor with him and sat down and patted his leg and said, hey, you know, show me what's going on. And it was in that moment that he just relaxed, he stopped babbling, and, and it was all okay. If I yelled, he would have escalated, and that would have been a... But it was somehow, in that moment, I was able to transcend my natural position of wanting to appease everybody who was upset with his behavior, and in the meantime, belittling my, my kid, and who knows what I would be doing to his psyche. You know, it's like, but only when you have been to the mountaintop enough times and that you are able to familiarize yourself with it, that you are able to know it and feel it, even when the headlines aren't right, even when you're in a moment and everybody's throwing that heavy vibe at you. And, um, and so really what this is about is bringing this into your world. This world has enough people being cops and police and uh, living with fear and constraints that it needs those that bring a vision. Part of being a mystic is a visionary of the possibility that is greater than what the verdict, the prognosis, or any of those things. Those are the result of the psychic reading of the energy. This is what's going to happen if things don't change. But you're the bringer of change. Do you get that? You're the bringer of a greater possibility. Those that are holding their position haven't been to the mountaintop lately to see that there are many 
different ways around this particular situation and dynamic. And so I can keep talking. I got a whole bunch more stories, but you know what? I, I've, I've talked a lot longer than you had asked me to. Um, so I, I guess I should be wrapping this up with, with uh, you brought sleeping bags. Keep going. Um, one more story or should I call it quit? One more? Okay. Let's see. Which one do you want? Um, here's a good wrap-up story. How's, here, here you go. So <clears throat> this, here was this, um, um, I don't know, Zan, it, it, this was an apprentice, disciple, student. That's the name. Here was a student studying in a, a, a monastery, you know, with a great master teacher, and, um, you know, and it's just taken him a lot longer, you know, but finally after all these years of 10 years of study, he finally uh, said to the master, you know, I'm ready to go to the mountaintop. And I'm committed. I'm going to go to that mountaintop. I don't know how to get there. But when I get there, I am going to stay there until I receive enlightenment or die. The master teacher looked at his student and said, yes, my son, I, I, I too get you're ready. And um, he said, bless you on your path. Good luck. And so the, the student headed off into the mountains and headed up the mountain and the path got thinner and, uh, um, and he was determined to find enlightenment and uh, he's you know, around the bend and it got thinner and the precipice looked further down and further down and farther away and higher and higher and, and it was just wondering and he saw an old man walking down this path and uh, he looked at this guy at a distance. As he got closer, he could see his weathered skin. He was kind of older, tattered clothes, carrying a big old pack over his shoulder. And he's coming down. And as he got closer, he could see the wisdom uh, in this man's eyes. And the kid was kind of, I'm not lost, just tired. I, I don't know. But he said, hey, old man, what is enlightenment? And the guy looked at him. And he set down his pack on the ground. It was in that moment the kid got it. That's it. It's that easy. You just set down your burden. You set down your pack. Because it really had been that easy all along to have just been able to set down that which you've been carrying, that load. He was excited. And he just he jumped up and, and he started running back up. The path, he's going back up to the mountaintop. He's like, he's got it. Is it that easy? And as he's starting to get up and turn the corner, he said, but now what? Now, now, now. And, and he said, looked back down and saw the old guy down there. He said, hey, old man. So now what? And the old guy just kind of wiped his brow, picked his pack up, threw it over his shoulders, shrugged, I don't know, and headed back down the mountain. You've got to come back down the mountain. It's nice, these spiritual principles and platitudes and mystical concepts. But unless you take it into your world, into those areas that matter the most, those that came up for you tonight, applying it there in your world, it's going to do you no good. You can live from the mountaintop, but to be the mystic you were born to be, you've got to return to our world. God bless you. Hey, Amber, thank you. All right.